0: Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
1: There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta
2: drive deep out to left field he clubbed it Brady twisting and turning looking up and giving up it's a home run for Danby Swanson player out towards shallow right that's big trouble Albies going back he dives and he makes the catch what a play Ozzie Albie! Swanson is headed for three he'll try for it inside the Parker relay throw comes toward the plate he'll score standing and it's his second inside the park home run of the season
1: this is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road the Number Two Atlanta. Now hit the road with your hosts Eric Cole, Garav Vidak, and Garrett Spang. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com where I've been since 2015 talking about the minor leagues uh, and some major leagues more recently as well, but my heart and soul has always been with the minor leagues. And to join me this evening are two of the guys who have been with me for a, really the vast majority of that journey uh, covering the minor leagues, uh, Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers. Gaurav, how are you, my friend?
3: I'm doing very well. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Matt, you doing okay, buddy?
4: I am, especially now that we're under 30 days left before the draft.
1: Yeah, this is kind of, uh, one of the, Matt's favorite times of the year. Uh, he, uh, th- we're kind of in full draft mode right now, uh, partially because we're not really to the point where we're going to see a ton of roster movement in terms of the minor leagues. We saw a few early early season moves. It's just kind of like some adjusting of like where guys needed to be assigned. But we don't really expect to hear a ton more about promotions for at least a little while. And more importantly, the draft is going to be coming up first week of June. Or, you know, basically the, the end of the first week of June is probably the best way to put that. And so right now we're in the process of doing a lot of information collecting, you know, researching. Uh, Matt's been making the rounds, watching players. We're, all of us are trying to get our handle to kind of who should be available, uh, since the Braves have two first round picks this year at 9 and 21. Uh, really interesting draft, especially, and it's going to be a particularly important one for the Braves because we don't expect them to be picking particularly high going forward. Uh, they may not be picking at the very bottom of the first round, but they might be picking kind of, you know, later in the round, the draft where you have to kind of let the draft come to you versus now where they can actually get one, of, at least one, one of the top talents in the draft in this one. So we've been doing a lot of work on that end. Um, if you're listening to this episode and you've read, read the title, it's obviously you're going to be more interested in the second part of this episode. We're going to, we're going to be interviewing Jim Callas. From uh, MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, you know, he's been around forever. He was at Baseball America for a while, and he's been at Pipeline for some time. You know, all the MLB network coverage of prospects and the draft, Jim's been at the forefront of that. It's going to be a really good time talking to Jim, both about some brace prospects as well. as kind of what's going to be to expect from the upcoming draft. Uh, I will not fault you if you wish to skip ahead to the, the, to the interview, um, but – we do have. A, we do want to give you guys a quick update as to what's going on in the minor leagues. And to start us off, Garavidek, let's talk about Austin Riley and what this man's doing to the baseballs in AAA. Let's
3: do it, man. Uh, there might not be a hotter player in all, in all of minor league baseball. Austin Riley is just straight up killing the ball right now. His last ten games, he's got a one point seven five 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 six OPS, and like. I want to say, like, 25 home runs in that span, some, somewhere on along those lines. Like, the man is just hitting off the, the cover off the ball. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's three multi-home run games, actually, in his past 10 games, or past eight games. Uh To be even more exact, like, I, I don't understand. It's crazy. It's awesome. Uh, he's doing extreme, like, he's driving the ball everywhere. I think the opposite field 30% of the time as well, like, He is doing everything you want him to do this year. He's, he's walking at an elite clip at almost 11% of the time. He's striking out only 20%, which is a career low for him. He's driving the ball. Uh, I can't, I can't get over him right now. Like he's forcing himself into a discussion on like how to get him in the majors faster. And right, you know, they, they played him in left field for the first time. Last year, just trying to find ways to get him into Atlanta. It's it's exciting when a prospect is just mashing to the tune of, hey, what can we do to get this guy onto the big league team? And that's exactly what Austin Riley is doing. Even considering, like, I think today he went 0 for 4 with like three strikeouts, maybe not three strikeouts, but he went 0 for 4. Like, who cares? It's, it was a 10 a.m. game, and he hit two homers the previous game. Like, he is hotter than anyone I've ever seen. Not maybe not ever seen, but he's hot. He's really hot right now. I don't know where I'm going with that, but he's, he's really hot right now.
1: Yeah, I think the thing that's making me the happiest is the strikeout rate. In his last 10 games, he only has 9 strikeouts. And that's with like three games with like multi mul- multiple strikeouts. He's going to have be a guy that w- is going to have some swing and miss. He's just a guy that's going to ha- that's just going to be a part of his game. A lot of power hitters that that exist in this day and age there's just going to be some swing and miss because they're really they're trying to drive the ball and there's going to be some times where they get fooled and they're not going to be trying being able to adjust in the middle of the zone to you know you know just makes make some weak contact just to fight off a pitch uh, late, uh, deep in account but only nine strikeouts in his last ten games he's gone wild I think it's it's because of that 10 a.m. today it's only it's three multi home run games in his last nine not his last ten but it'd be basically the same thing it's, That's it's crazy he, he, he yeah he's been insane and. The quality, like, a lot I, of quality of bats, too.
3: A lot of people are going to say something along the lines, you know, whenever a prospect is performing this well, you you try and find ways or reasons as to why they're doing it well. And, like, one of the first ones that always comes up is their BABIP, right? But on the season, it's still 321, and he always is over the – pretty much always over the, the 300 mark when it comes to BABIP. So. Like that's not even a good indicator. It's not like a hot streak. He's just performing at a very elite level right now. And that's the only way for me to really describe it.
1: Yeah. There was an article that came out in Baseball America, I believe, uh, this past week where it talked about like some swing adjustments that he made about getting his bat to the zone quicker and some adjustments he made with his hands. And we've had this discussion about, you know, what his bat speed really is. And I think we all agree that. The swing is a little long. It has been in the past has been a little long at times, but it wasn't a bat speed problem. It was more like a timing problem and like kind of getting his hands on time. And it seems like he's made a real adjustment. And if you watch him playing right now, like you can see the difference like in that all like these, whether it be more elite of velocity or just kind of whether or not he's fooled on a pitch that's inside. He's getting his bat to, he's getting his bat and more importantly the barrel to the ball more consistently. Is he still gonna miss sometimes? Sure. That's just gonna be a thing that's happened. But he's making these adjustments and every year he's been in the minor leagues as other organizations and other, and more advanced pitching has adjusted to him, he has always adjusted and like performed well after the fact. And that's something that I really admire as a kid. Or I guess the man now really he's not he's not really a kid anymore he's not the like seventeen year eighteen year old that when he was drafted when we first started covering him but now he's just a guy that just he always adjusts he works really hard what, remember when Rome whenever was saying we don't think he's going to be able to stick at third base and now he's saying they're saying he's a plus defender you know people were saying that you know he was going to strike out too much it's like he's he every time there's someone that doubts him or there's a, a hole that opens up in his game which is just a thing that happens in player development. He, he, he has made the adjustment to make it work. I just want to throw this That's out an there. The
2: Sorry,
3: last
4: the last guy that I can really remember in baseball, and he's not a Brave, that was a third baseman that had all these flaws that just seemed to correct them, was not very good defensively, became a very, very strong defender, had some questions about his hit goal and has ended up hitting very well, Nolan Arenado.
1: Oh Lord, I hope so, man. That mean, like,
4: look, we are just, not predicting
1: he will be Arenado. <laughs> Let's just go but, ahead and get that no, out
4: there. I mean, Arenado is also yeah. helped by the fact he plays at Coors, but <laughs> I mean, I mean, he's a great player. I'm not trying to take anything nope. away. The numbers are definitely slightly inflated, just like any Rockies player at any point, but they do have some similarities in them in that they just keep on being told they can't do something and finding a way to not only do it, but excel in that area.
3: And like you said, Eric, like he can face adversity and then he will make an adjustment and then like perform. Right. And it's not even that, like he just produces at the same level after making that adjustment, he actually gets better. And it's like, he's constantly evolving who he is and constantly trying to find ways to improve. And it shows you can just bring up his, his, uh, like his fan grass page and it shows improvement in every single aspect you want to see every year. Like it's incredible. I, I honestly don't know where his potential lays now because it's just, he's a, he's an ever evolving player. It's really cool to have something like this.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's been awesome to watch. And, you know, he's some he's someone that's intrigued us since his days in rookie ball when he like hit all those home runs and you know, had like I think like one like one of those stops he had like a forty percent strikeout rate or something like that. Uh but we're still like, hey, he hit thirteen home runs, I'm interested. Let's, you know, let's let's talk about it. Uh who else do you want to talk about before we move on to Matt?
3: I mean if if Austin Riley is the hottest player, then like 1A would be Drew Waters and then like 1B would be Christian Pache. They're all pretty much mashing the ball right now, but Drew Waters, you know, I I thought it it was a pretty aggressive, uh, placement assignment for him when he started off in Mississippi. I was a little worried, you know, he can get into his head when he plays sometimes. You could just see his frustration build during the course of a game if it's just not going his way. So I thought, Maybe the, the placement in AA would be a little too aggressive. He might get into his head after he comes into some adversity, but I don't know if we will see that because he's just not facing any while he's in Mississippi. Uh, the walk rate is a little, is a little iffy, but again, he's 20 years old and that's just, that's just gonna happen. You know, he's, he's out there trying to prove himself against, uh, Honestly, like not, not better talent, but more advanced talent than what he should be. And over the last 10 games, so 1.167 OPS, uh, he's barreling the ball like crazy. He's using his speed to turn, you know, singles into extra base hits. He's a little less aggressive on the base pads than normal. And I would like to see that go up just because after he got promoted to, to Florida last year, I think he only attempted like three. Uh, I mean, well, he has three stolen bases. I'm not sure how many he attempted, but then like he's only, he only had two so far this season. I would like to see that happen a little more just because he's got that pure, like that crazy dynamic speed. Um, but maybe he just doesn't feel like he needs to because (laughs) I I don't know because he's insanely hot right now and a sub 30 strikeout rate for him in Mississippi is extremely surprising to me, and I, I love it. Like, he's making me very happy about my very aggressive ranking of him early on in his career.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely looking good right now. Uh, also, if you haven't watched it, uh, his walk-off uh, home run the other night uh, to give the, the, give Mississippi the win was uh, – it was funny because Pache had, like rec- like, homered earlier on in that game. And it just felt like like Drew's like well I just can't have that so and then final at bat Drew you know two run homer Mississippi Rays win that was totally cool um, Matt who have you got for this week Do you
3: sorry real quick do you think that there's like a little perceived competition between the two like they both know that they're kind of hot you know hot shit sorry if that language is uh, PG 13 we're fine we're fine just, okay I'm
4: sure they realize they have some how can you not
3: yeah, right. Like they probably have expectations going into each game, and they—I I would assume a little competition. I would love to actually find out if they do have like an everyday competition type thing because that would just be really neat.
1: So I mean, like it's—it's it's almost impossible for that not to be the case because not only like that the, they're pretty set in the lineup right now with Waters at leadoff and Pache uh, hitting second, but like every start they alternate who plays center. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that. The, I'm sure they're looking at their lineup card, like, making sure that they, you know, they know who's getting the time in center and who's getting the time in right. And it, I mean, I'm sure it's more, I'm sure it's friendly just because, like, my interactions with Drew were, like, and both Pache were both, like, they're super nice guys. And, you know, they, they understand that, you know, they're professionals and they have their own personal aspirations. But, you know, they, they also seem like really good guys in terms of teammates. Everyone seems to really love them. And, like, I don't think there's any, like, I don't think they're all, like, you know, like, I need to do better than the other guys so that way I can get my shot. But I do think that there would probably be some a friendly rivalry. Uh, and I also think that in terms of like pure competitiveness, just like wanting to show out, like Drew Waters is really high up there. Um, Pache is a more of a, a more, I think a more of a laid back personality, not, in, and not in a bad way at all. Uh, I just don't think he would get caught up too much in it, but I'm sure Drew's like, well, I'm just going to have to make sure that, you know, if, if Pache is doing this, then, you know, I'm going to make sure I'm at least holding my own too. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch both those guys. All right, Matt, who
4: have you got? So the first guy that I wanted to talk about is actually a guy that I'm going to be talking about tomorrow in an article, Trey Harris. I mean, all this guy is doing right now is just hitting. He's been hitting a ridiculous three seventy six on the year at this point. He's hitting for some power. I mean, he's only got four home runs, but three of them are actually in his last 10 games among his, what, 14 or 15 extra base hits on the year at this point. I mean... That 376 average on the year, in the last 10 games, it's 375. So this guy not only won the player of the month for Rome in the month of April, but he's actually managed to hit at the exact same batting average that he did for that entire first month in the last 10 games. So he has not slowed down at all. Considering we're talking about a guy who's already 23 years old, signed as a college senior... It's just a matter of time before he ends up getting promoted to the next level, which would be Florida for him, because he doesn't really have much more left to prove at Rome. He's just too good for that level at this point.
1: Yeah, really great hitter. I actually like what like watching him a lot at the plate. Uh in the field, it's I would say in the outfield it's a little bit adventurous at times, but we saw him make a really good play uh when we were watching him in Rome. Uh, it was a diving it was a diving play and he made a good throw into the into the infield too. So it's not like I don't think he could ever make, you know, make it as an outfielder. Uh but at the plate, I mean, I I really want to see him more against more advanced pitching. Just because, you know, right right now it just seems like he's a man amongst boys down there. Um, he is older, so it's kind of, you know, temper your expectations with like small sample sizes against, you know, younger competition. But overall, I was really happy with him. Uh, anyone else you want to talk about before we move on?
4: I, yeah, I just want to throw this in out there, too. The defense, I think it's a work in progress, but he's definitely shown signs that he has the ability to give to a very strong defender in the outfield with some work. But you have to remember, he played a lot of second base in college, too. So there is some adjustment for him to learn how to make reads and routes to the ball before he really grows into becoming a consistent defender instead of a guy who just has to rely on his athleticism to make some plays, which is what he's doing right now. But I definitely see potential for more. And the other guy is a guy who's basically broken out this year, Travis Demerit I mean, this is a guy who, when he came over in 2016 in the uh, trade, was hitting the ball fairly well. I mean, what was he at? Maybe a nine hundred OPS before he came over. He had, uh, I want to say, it was an 850, 860 OPS in the Brave system in High A at that point. And then he came over in twenty seventeen, started the year, his first full year in the Brave system, and started in Double A for the very first time. This is a guy who then repeated Double A in twenty eighteen. I mean, it's hard to forget that. Um, it's sometimes easy to forget that he was actually in the futures game not that long ago. But after back to back years in double A where he had a three oh six 306 and three sixteen on base percentage and his slugging was barely over four hundred each year at four oh two and four sixteen, despite the fact that the second year he was repeating the level, he was kind of forgotten about to the point where he was falling off of the top thirty prospect lists as a guy who might have just reached his peak already and maybe have a chance to be a bench player because he wasn't really maximizing his talent. But then this year he's hitting two ninety six with a three ninety one on base and he's slugging five twenty. I mean, outside of what he did in the California league when he slugged nearly six hundred, that's the best slugging percentage of his career. And outside of what he did in the Arizona League when he was first drafted back in um, 2013, this is definitely the best on-base percentage he's had in his career easily. He's striking out less. I think his strikeout rate is about 30%. I want to say he's striking out 29 or 30 times in 100 at-bats at this point. To go with his four homers in that 100 at-bats, uh, he's walking quite a bit. He's got about 14 or 15 walks in that 100 or so at best, at this point going into tonight so he's walking he's hitting for power he's striking out less he's getting on base he's re-emerging on prospect lists at this point
1: yeah one thing i love about travis is that of of all the guys who i thought could benefit from the the new baseball in triple a it would be travis because i've never seen so many guy uh, a guy that has hit so many home runs, and this is even in the lower levels, where they look like they would be routine fly balls. But he puts so much spin on the ball when he hits it that it just continues to carry. But in places like Florida and Mississippi, that's not going to play as much just because like you know, you're like hitting it into like this humid swamp air, uh in these big va- in these big, you know, these big ballparks that are very pitcher friendly. And seeing him in AAA where like these balls are starting to carry some more and he's, you know, getting some extra base hits out of it. Really again, he he's a guy that it's hard for me to understand what his role is in the future because I liked him a lot at second base as a defender, but he hasn't played there in a while. He didn't seem to like playing at third, as far as I'm aware. And he's been in the outfield more often in recently years. And maybe that's just his role as kind of like a corner outfield guy uh, with, with some upside. But I kind of like to see if maybe he can turn into kind of a utility piece because with his tool set, I mean, he's an ultra athletic, really good defender, I would like to see that he could, like, you know, continue to play all these positions because that sort of versatility in terms of whether he's a trade piece or whether he's a guy that ends up making it onto the Braves major league roster, like being able to play in the infield and in the outfield is a big deal. And especially if you're a good defender at those positions. So, uh, ha- happy with that. I do want to mention, add a few other names before we move on to the interview with Jim. Um, Grob mentioned him briefly let's talk about what Christian Pache is doing this year. Aside from the fact he has a nine Oh six OPS in double a, which I don't think any of us would have predicted he would have had through the first 30 games of the season. Um, You know we're we're seeing power out of him. He already has 15 extra base hits this year, which is you know a a non-zero consideration. Uh, Friendly reminder: in in 2017 in Rome, his grand total of extra base hits was 21, including zero home runs. We're seeing home runs out of him. We're seeing lots of doubles. Uh, He he already has four triples this year. That's not going to be a sustainable pace. He's not going to hit like you know whatever 16 or 20 of them this year. Um, but the thing that's really sticking out for me: the the strikeout rate's still a little high, uh, and I would like to see that come down. But he already has 9 walks this year, which isn't like a crazy number in terms of like overall walks, you know, he's not being treated like, you know, he's Chris Bryan up there or anything like that. But he only had 20 walks last year. <laughs> and he's already on pace to double that amount. The idea that he can actually get his on-base percentage into like a real like into like a really competitive spot, which is something that was the one of the big knocks on him, is that if you were to put him, you know, at higher levels right now, everyone thought he was going to have like a sub 300 OPS because the hit tool was a little bit iffy and he just doesn't draw walks. He has a really aggressive approach at the plate, but he seems like now that he's driving the ball more, there's a combination of, it looks like pitchers are kind of respecting the fact that they can't just, you know, groove fastballs down the middle to him because he can really make them pay. But also he's taking a better approach in his at bats too. There's still times where you see some ugly swings and, you know, when he gets fooled, it can look a little rough, but, He's a guy that he's very coachable, and he's learning day by day to kind of his approach as a hitter, how to, how pitchers are are treating him, and it's really exciting to see kind of a guy with that much athleticism and raw ability uh, to doing well. Patrick Weigel, I mean, I wish we could see him stretched out a little bit more. He hasn't pitched more than three innings in an outing all year, but right now with a t- ERA of two point one nine, and that includes you know a, a couple roughish outings. Um, hasn't allowed a lot of walk in his last two outings. A lot to like from a guy coming back from, from Tommy John surgery. Bat- opposing batters are hitting 156 against him. And I think the next time that we see someone from Gwinnett make a a real concerted effort, or I say, I say slashes onto the Braves roster with, for more than like three days, uh, we see like Tukey and we see Kyle Wright and we see like Sean Newcomb. Like there's some shuffling happen, but I think one one of those guys – kind of is locked into a spot up there. I could see Patrick being in line to move up if, and only if that he starts stretching out and actually is actually pitching more innings per start, just because I know he's been kind of like handcuffed to Jeremy Walker in his appearances. Like Patrick will per- pitch the first two or three innings and then Walker pitches for however long he can go, uh, which is generally in like that five innings range or something like that, which is a good way to preserve a bullpen uh when you only have to throw in two guys out there for seven or eight innings. But I want to see if whether not he's going to get the time as a starter, uh, rather than just kind of throwing him in these like two and three innings stints that they they have been doing. But has been really good uh, as he's they kind of been working him back in. Uh, and then the other trio of pitchers at, at Mississippi uh, have been varying degrees of good. Uh, Joey Wentz had a really bad outing. Uh, a few outstarts ago, but he also had a, like, a, a, a no-hitter that he was carrying into, <laughs> carrying late into a game, and his last start, he looked pretty good, uh, a few too many walks, though. The only thing I'm concerned about with him is just his, uh, the, not only just the walks, but also he's not, doesn't seem to be missing bats consistently, uh, and Kyle has Mar- looked really, really good, except for the fact that he's walked twenty, uh, what, twenty-four batters in twenty-six innings, uh, which includes a, uh, a six-walk outing in less than two innings, which was less than ideal, but, Again a guy who's stuff that took a big jump over the, uh, the previous um, his previous seasons and you can start to see more velocity out of him He was a guy that worked hard with the drive line program uh, and that seems to be paying dividends and Ian Anderson, I mean he struck out 37 batters in 29 innings uh, opposing batters are batting 181 against him this year. Still would like to see the walks come down. This seems to be a common, uh, well thing, not just only in the Braves organization in general, but this Mississippi's pitching staff seems to be giving up a fair bit of, uh, giving up a fair bit of walks, which I would like to see improved. But among all the guys, he, he's the guy that's been, you know, the best about kind of limiting that damage. And in his last outing, he went six innings and struck out 11 batters, which is a big deal. Um, before we get on to the interview with Jim, gentlemen, do we have anyone else we want to talk to or anything else you want to touch on?
3: We, I mean, we can also, I think, Alex Jackson definitely deserves a shout out because after what happened in Atlanta, he's done quite well since returning to Gwinnett and is hitting the ball at a pretty solid clip. I'm, I'm very happy for him. If he can end up playing, you know, he's done, a, he's done considerably well with his defensive changes. If he can have like a, a solid average bat, we gotta, you know, he might actually become something. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, uh, I I wonder when that would happen because I mean again he's you know he's a perfectly respectable like you know eight eighty three OPS you know he's he's hitting some home runs the average is two sixty two it's not awesome but it's you know it's certainly workable so
3: he's another guy that's like that's like that's, that's like exactly where I expect him to sit right like two sixty two like two two fifty to, to two seventy five type average you just hoping like the the walk rate will will keep. His OBP's like 325, and then like a 500 slugging percentage. Well, like 450. But like right around there, that's that's awesome out of a catcher. I love it.
1: Yeah, I would like to see it over a longer sample size. He's only actually played in 11 games in Gwinnett, which is actually a little bit surprising now that I kind of look at it uh, in 2019. So, But again, has looked good. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he's like, you know, like, you know, pushing his way into the roster, especially with Flowers and McCann playing well. But
3: Yeah, definitely not.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, he, he seems – more interesting than he did, I think, to start the season. Um, and with that said, it, guys, I hope you guys enjoy the interview with uh, Jim Callis, and we'll talk to you guys soon.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make Alright,
1: now we are here with a a guest that we haven't actually had on the road to Atlanta before. We've had some pretty high profile, uh, national prospect writers and, you know, guys who were really involved in like, you know, prospect evaluation, scouting, and things like that on the show, but we actually haven't had the pleasure of of having this particular gentleman, and uh, we've been working behind the scenes to kind of find some time for him. I feel bad that I've pestered him as much as I have, uh, given that this is draft season right now, and he's an incredibly busy man traveling all over and you know, trying to get his own content going up. But we are joined this evening by MLB, MLB.com, MLB Pipelines, own Jim Callis. Jim, how are you, man?
2: I'm glad to be here, and you, you haven't pestered me. I think I've been tough to pin down because like, our top 100 schedule got kind of rearranged, so I was trying to arrange it for a week. I think we were originally going to do this last week, and then our top 100 schedule got pushed back a week, and I was like, you know, that's actually literally the night I'm going to have to write my first mock draft, so uh why don't we push it back? So it's uh, – I, I will blame me and not you. I, I have not felt pestered, so.
1: Well, I mean, I, look, it's fine with you blaming me for pestering you. I'll- I'm not gonna stop, if I'm just being <laughs> honest about it. But, uh, it, it's been a, I know it's busy this time of year just because there's so much content going up on MLB Pipeline and kind of, everyone's asking you guys questions all the time with between mailbags and just, you know, being bombarded on Twitter and, you know, and also having to do your job of having to generate the content itself. So we're really happy you were able to make the time for us. Um, the way this interview is just going to be is we're going to talk a little bit of brave stuff, and then we're going to be talking about a lot of draft stuff because sure. it's it's only what we're less than a month away now, and that's kind of crazy to think about that you know we were kind of just getting cranked up for the season, and the draft is now upon us. Um, so first things first, Rob had a question for you uh, concerning a, a, a probably a name that you've heard a little bit about the uh the brave system so far recently.
3: Sure. Hey Jim, thanks. First of all, thanks so much for coming out and, and recording with us. It truly means a lot to have someone of your, of your nature on our podcast. Oh, um, uh, let's do it. The, obviously the hottest topic right now is, is, has to be Austin Riley and what he's doing over in, in Gwinnett. Uh, where do you see him amongst like your, your third baseman around, uh, your third baseman pro- prospects around, around the country and like, could you imagine what he's like? Could you project what he's on, like what he's doing right now? I, honestly, I didn't expect him to have like almost a sub twenty percent strikeout percentage while hitting the balls as well as he as well as he has.
2: Yeah, yeah. The one thing I, I will I I'll throw brief caution to the wind with all AAA stats this You know, you, I mean, I like Austin Riley; he's a very good prospect. But you look at the year he's having. You look at the year that like Jordan Alvarez is having have, uh, having in the Astros system. And one thing to remember, they switched balls this year in AAA. They're using the, basically the billiard balls that they use at the big leagues this year. They're not using the minor league ball. And AAA power numbers are through the roof right now. I was actually looking at, we're, we're talking about, we're going to move guys around our top 100. We kind of do like what we call market corrections every six weeks or so. And we were talking about Jordan Alvarez, and we're going to move him up a little bit. But I cautioned, I said, you know, like if you look at the stats this year compared to last year, the isolated power is up like thirty or forty points in both triple A leagues. And, and like the home run totals are just insane at the triple A level. I I might be wrong. I want to say, well, I can't remember. I think the AAA home run totals might be higher than the major league home run totals right now. And if they're not, they're close. But so the balls are different, and that's why you're seeing home run numbers through the roof. Now that said, Austin Riley is one of the best third base prospects in baseball. Um, and you pointed out what actually is impressed, meaning the 12 home runs in 33 games are impressive, and I think he hit a ball, what, like 492, 492 feet the other day. Yeah, that was Kittle Yeah. And that said, while that is impressive, I've been more impressed by the strikeout rate as well. He's got it down around 20%. You know, he had a really nice year last year, but it was kind of a tail two years. He, he clobbered double A, and he was kind of okay in triple A. Um, so I've actually been, if it's possible to be less impressed by 12 home runs in 33 games, I've really been more impressed by the fact that he's making consistent contact than that the fact that the, the home run numbers are through the roof because it's funny. I, I, you know, I did the AAA National Championship game. I was kind of like the sideline reporter and third guy in the booth with George Grant and Jim Cott last year. And Jim Cott was looking at the minor league balls that they were using and he would be like, ah, oh, I would love to use this ball. Um, like, cause it, it was not anywhere near as hard. Like they, he actually on the broadcast, he had the two balls and he was showing you how much harder the big league ball was than the minor league ball. And it was interesting because before this year, if you were rehabbing, if you were a rehabbing pitcher on a AAA assignment, you could choose which ball you wanted. And it was interesting, you know. Jim was talking about how it's interesting because talking to some big league pitchers, some guys would want to use the big league ball so they'd be, you know, that much more ready to use the big league ball game when they got back up. And other guys would want to use the minor league ball because they figured they'd be more impressive and might get recalled quicker. So anyway, Austin Riley, I think, is probably one of the top five third base prospects in baseball, top five or six. And that he'll actually move up because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Nick Senzel will graduate pretty quick. Um, but the, the the ball is is, is the, the major league ball is wreaking havoc in AAA this year.
1: I did not. This was already pre written ahead of time. I will say this. My next question is actually about the ball that's in AAA right now, uh, <laughs> uh, because that, that's been a big com- topic of conversation. It's not just you know being anecdotally mentioned. You know, Baseball America has been doing you know pieces on it, and it's it's easy to see the the power up it. And it's not just in one league. It's not just the League where we've kind of seen. You know some pretty you know crazy numbers come out in the past, and you have to take things with a grain of salt. It's you're seeing this l- big output of power at AAA right now because they're using these balls. And I just had a, it's like a kind of a two part question. First, I've heard that the ball that's being used in AAA is actually slightly different from the the major league ball, but it's definitely not the same one that's you being used in the lower levels. I just wanted to know one if that was true, and two, how do you gauge? a guy's power tool right now in general just because while it is a different ball and you'll see a jump in their performance like we're seeing with some guys you know Jordan Alvarez is the guy that you mentioned you know I mean Boston Riley isn't even leading the international league in home runs right now it's a prospect that I I forget his name but I think he has 13 and you know he's a guy that hadn't hit like 13 I think he hit 15 home runs all year last year so how do you gauge a guy's power tool because while it's a different ball it is going to be very similar to the ball they're going to be using in the major leagues which does seem to be predictive in some Ways,
2: Yeah, it's um. – I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the same ball. Um. And you know, Ty France, who's up in the big leagues right now, I mean El Paso is a great place to hit. And Ty France was putting up just insane numbers in El Paso between the ballpark and the western parks In the PCL are, are, are a lot of hitters parks and the ball. You just, I think, have to look at guys relative to the league. Now, well, what's nice is these guys in AAA, it's not like you're evaluating – amateur players and you know I mean you, you have a ton of history on all these guys and you've seen these guys with the minor league ball in the past now the flip side of that is when they get to the big leagues they're going to be using the big league ball too so if if Austin Riley is is you know going off you know hitting the billiard ball that they're using in triple A now you know the good chance is that you know yeah I mean yeah the pitchers are going to be better but like you know if he makes contact he'll hit some 492 foot home runs in the big leagues too so um i, I think it's you know, you, you, everything's relative. You know, you you watch guys in BP to see how it carries, and I think you just kind of mentally, like, I don't know how many feet like the average ball travels further, but I think you just kind of have to have in your mind that you know, like, you know, the Baseball America article you referenced. I think home runs are up like thirty five percent in in April. Something um, like
1: that. It's some insane number, yeah. And
2: I, and I think there, and I think that's even more. That, that, that's actually a little bit light because I, if I'm reading their chart correctly, because I, th- I, I don't think they, have it, they could get the data, that's based on last season as a whole. And obviously, home run numbers are not as high in April as they are in the summer when it's warmer. So that, that's 35% up compared to last year. And just looking at the other leagues where nothing's changed, they're all down about 14 or 15%, you know, which I would attribute to the cold weather. So it just shows you – how insane the AAA, I mean, the AAA numbers instead of, you know, the, like according to the chart, the average AAA team, I think is hitting 1.2 homers a game. If it was kind of similar, you know, the rates in the other leagues factor for April, it should be 0.8 homers per game. So, I mean, the numbers are up probably 50% over what you would have expected if they were just using the ball they used last year. So it's, it's a little crazy right now. That's wild. All right.
1: So we, there's been a bit of a debate, uh, both amongst us as well as just kind of across really all of us who, uh, evaluate prospects about two outfield prospects in the Brave system. And Groff has a question about them.
3: Okay. Yeah. So, so if Austin Riley is the hottest topic right now, tied for second has to be Drew Waters and Christian Pache. Uh, what have you been hearing about, about how those two guys have progressed? And if you had to choose one, who would it be?
2: Yeah. I mean, they've both been impressive. I mean, they, I, I... I don't have the list in front of me, but they have to be two of the youngest players in the Southern League. You know, Pache was obviously there, you know, for part of last year too, so he got some experience. Um, they have both been very impressive. If if I had to pick between them, I would take Pache. I, you know, it's interesting. I think they're kind of similar. I think the difference to me is that Pache has kind of plus plus speed and arm strength and defense, and Drew Waters is more. Plus speed and arm and defense, and then offensively, I think Pache is going to wind up being more than a hit hit over power guy. Whereas Waters is going to be more balanced. Um, and so I, I just think Pache, you know, he could he could really change. I mean, he's still learning to use his speed. I mean, he's got game changing speed. He, he might be the best defensive outfielder in the minors. And he's going to be a center fielder. Drew Waters is probably going to be a right fielder. Um, if I had to bet. On who's going to have the better bat in the long run? Overall, you know, hit plus power. Drew Waters might get a slight edge, but I think it'll be close. I think Pache's other tools well, – while Waters are good. Paches are really good. And then that's the difference for me. The other thing that's been interesting about Drew Waters, and I do like him a lot. I talked to him in spring training, really confident. He's like, for a guy who's hitting 350, he's striking out a ton. I don't know if you, I mean, you guys have probably seen this. You know, he's struck, he has 38 strikeouts at seven walks, and I think he's hitting, like, 500 when he puts the ball in play. So, like, that, it's, like, kind of a, a weirdly and probably not sustainable performance like that. Um like, I, I would, I'd be more alarmed. He's striking out almost 30% of his plate appearances, and he's still hitting 350. So, it's kind of a weird year for him. um I, you know, I'm not, you know given the Braves' history of pro- promoting guys aggressively, I wasn't surprised they put him in double a and given like you know what they they obviously know him better than I do, but just my sense for talking to him was like this is not a guy who's going to be phased by jumping to double he, a he's going to relish the challenge so like I don't think he's going to be scarred if he struggled, but I you know I think you could have made a case for maybe letting him tear up high class A for a month too, but it i'll be I'll be very curious because like I don't think it's possible to hit three fifty while striking out thirty percent of the time. Um, but he's done it for a month so far.
1: Yeah, we actually we, – we thought that it was possible that – I mean, Pache was going to probably always be a double A. Um, we just didn't see like a, a world where triple A was going to happen. Drew was a little bit – just because we thought that since they were both going to get time in center in the minor leagues, we weren't 100% sure how that would work with both of them on the roster. But we also kind of thought that they were going to struggle for the first couple months, just because they're both guys. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen both these guys have problems with strikeouts and, like, you know, making contact consistently. And they're being—they're both doing it in different ways, but they're—they're I mean, they're both hitting really well. And it's kind of hard to gauge exactly what's going on. I mean, the BABIP stuff for Drew Waters is real, but you know, he'll have—he'll have games where you know, the kind of the infuriating strikeouts. But it's kind of interesting that they're both excelling so far, and they—they they, like. We expected them to kind of struggle at first and then, you know, overall talent that they would just kind of, uh, you know, progress normally from there. But now they're kind of both producing and it's kind of hard to gauge as to where they all are because you're right is that they they both have their own warts in terms of like when their tools are playing and how.
2: Yeah, you know, even Pache, I mean, he's striking out at a, you know, about a. I think about a 28% clip or something. He's hitting like 450 on balls in play. Now, the, the, the thing that, that I think has been really positive about Pache in the early going is for a guy who I don't think he'd hit a home run before last year. He's already got three home runs. He's slugging 540. He's driving the ball really well. Um, and like I said, I mean, the, re- like, the rest of his tools, like the, 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 the speed and the defense and arm strength are pretty special. So if he, if he just is close to an average hitter, he's going to be really, really good. And I think he can be a, a an above-average hitter with, 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 you know, maybe average power. I mean, it's so easy to forget he's just 20. Um, both those guys are really talented. I mean, I, I would think, you know, I mean, if we want to maybe be more, most realistic, it's probably 2021 before they're fully ready for, you know, full-time duty in the big leagues. But, like, at that point, you know, you'd have Acuna in left, Pache in center, and Waters in right, and Acuna would be the old man at 23. Um. So it's going to be pretty exciting to see those guys.
1: They're definitely exciting for us to watch. So now we have reached the point of the podcast where we get to talk about draft guys, which is something you've been working really hard on recently. Uh, to the point where you know you're probably tired of having to make various lists and making you know having to follow up on you know who's going where and all that other good stuff. But obviously the draft is coming up. You're getting a lot of your mock drafts, and your mock draft came out fairly recently, and you had the Braves picking Shay Leng- Lengeliers, I believe is how you pronounce his name, yep. uh, the catcher out of Baylor. Now, given how early we are in, in the process right now, is that pick for your mock based on where you're, what information you're seeing about who the Braves are specifically connected to right now, or is it more based on kind of an organizational fit uh, because there's just not a lot of good concrete information this early?
2: Well, there isn't a lot of good concrete information early, a pet peeve of mine with mocks is the mocks that just try to sit there and go, "Oh, this team has done this in the past, so they're going to do it again." I mean, teams don't always draft the same way year after year after year. And now, obviously, there's not a lot of concrete information. But like, I even like gave a little guide with my mock and said that I felt like I had a pretty good amount of like intel or gossip or whatever you want to call it on the first seven picks, and then a decent amount on eight to twelve a little bit from 13 to 21, and then after that, it was kind of throwing some darts, a combination of, you know, maybe if, if I know the guy's agent, like, hey, which teams are on him, and then trying to cross-reference that with the team, like, hey, not that they know who they're going to pick, but like, if this play, you know, I'm thinking about giving you guys this guy at pick 27, does that make sense? And if I didn't get a resounding no, it's like sold. That's that guy I'm putting at 27. So I tried to at least have a little information. And what's interesting is with the Braves pick, after that came out, I had somebody tell me, another journalist, that talking to people within the Braves organization, that they told him that they were very high in Langoliers. So not that I think that's in any way cast in stone, but like I felt even a little bit better about that pick. After projecting it, or you know, you know, at nine, and and that would be you know, it's nine's a tricky spot in this year's draft, just from the standpoint of, you know, I think you know we we're talking, you know, I think before we came on 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 the podcast, you know, Ruch, you know, the, the top tier is Adley Rutschman, Bobby Witt, Andrew Vaughn, and some teams will put CJ Abrams there, and some teams wouldn't, and then you know the second tier would be Abrams if you don't have him in the first tier, Riley Green, JJ Bleday probably Hunter Bishop, and maybe one of the pitchers, although Nick Dola hasn't pitched as well recently. So, like, maybe not. So, anyway, that, that the, the, the first and second tiers kind of have seven or eight players. Like, and I'm talking consensus. I mean, teams will will deviate after you get past the first few guys. So, picking at nine, like, when I did my mock draft at eight it was, for the Rangers, like, well, there's one guy left in the top tier. I'm giving him to the Rangers. And I think the Braves are, like, and maybe – if the Braves like another guy or two, maybe their their top two tiers are a little bit bigger than mine. But, like, it was a little more difficult. Like, I, I've heard that the Braves like Hunter Bishop. I think there have been mock drafts, that, a lot of mock drafts that have done that. I just – I don't think Hunter Bishop quite gets to nine. Um, but, like, I think Hunter Bishop, the Arizona State outfielder, could be the guy if he got there. And just to give a quick breakdown to your listeners, Langleyers, one of the best defensive catchers in the draft in the last decade or so. Um, he's hitting better this spring. You know, I think you could have average bat, average power, and, and Gold Glove defense, which will obviously make him a really good player. Um, you know, Hunter Bishop, really, you know, one of the better athletes in college baseball. He's contending for the NCAA Division One home run lead, and he was a guy who, who people liked the tools, but he just didn't have a track record of production. Um, but he's got more discipline this year. He, he's moved to center field and shown he can handle that. So he, he's really jumped up toward the top of the first round. You know, probably more than anybody who was not, you know, real close to that territory. Um, those are the same two, and I think, like we talked before, it came on, and I don't have it in front of me, but like I know Jonathan Mayo, my colleague, had his mock draft out, and did he have the Braves taking Jackson Rutledge? Is that what he had? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, that's where that's where Jonathan had him. Yeah,
2: yeah, you know, and, and that that could be too. I mean, there, it's th- this is the worst. If you count a junior college pitcher, and he's at San Jacinto Junior College in Texas, if you count a JUCO pitcher as a four-year college pitcher, even if you do that, <laughs> this is the worst group of college pitching I've seen in like thirty years. Like, I just it, don't remember. It's, it's, it's pretty rough. Yeah, and, you know, but Roglic might have the best stuff on the college side, and, and he's thrown more strikes than expected. He was a guy who didn't pitch a lot at Arkansas. He didn't throw strikes early in his freshman year, and he was, he had some hip injury, a hip injury that kind of sidelined him. But he's been pretty spectacular, and his season's over. They're, they're done. Sanjak is a, pa, a Juco traditional power, but got on probation, I think, for, um something to do with letter of, letters of intent or or it'd be scholarship violations that were apparently inadvertent. But, like, their season's over because they're not eligible for the JUCO playoffs this year. Um, and, and he's been really, really good. The la- last time I looked, he was in the running to lead the nation junior college pitchers in ERA and strikeouts, and the stuff's legit.
1: Excellent. Okay, so the next question uh, is going to be coming from Matt. Matt's been spearheading our draft coverage for the last few years now. Uh, He has – there's a prep arm that he has been doing a lot of work on, especially since he's kind of like he's, he's in Georgia, and we've been able to get some really good looks at him, and Matt's gotten some really good live looks at him, and he had a question about him to see if you could hopefully give us some insight on.
4: Okay. So one guy that's dropped down your rankings a little bit this spring since the start of the spring is the guy that I went out to see all the way in eastern side of Georgia, Daniel Espino. And I have to admit I was extremely impressed with everything that he had. Can you explain what's caused him to drop? Is this maybe a little bit of prospect fatigue, or is this possibly something else?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think it's prospect fatigue with Daniel. I mean, his stuff, he's, he's got the best fastball on the high school side, and he can hit triple digits. It's 94-97. It's got some good life to it. He can overpower high school hitters with his slider. He's, he's got a hard curveball, too, that's pretty promising. Um, you know, doesn't need to change up very much. The reason the reason he's not – like, I didn't have him in my first round, my mock, although I mentioned that I thought he was more of a candidate to slide a little bit and get paid, you know, over slot outside the first round. And and I think there's two reasons. One, high school right-handers are the demographic that scares teams the most. Um, You know, they they just feel like they're riskier. They get hurt a lot. They don't pan out as much. And so the high school righties never – I shouldn't say never. High school righties usually – Are ranked higher in the media than they go in the draft, if that makes sense. Um, So that was that. that, That's a factor. And then two, a lot of teams, as great as the arm is, and it's a great arm. I think a lot of teams look at Daniel Espino and see a future reliever. I think he's listed at six foot two, two hundred. I don't know if people really. I think they think he's closer to six feet. Um, You know, the arm works pretty well, but it's a really long arm action. So guys, get a good look at the ball. Um, there's not a lot of projection there. Um, the stuff's really good. But I think you have teams that are on the fence, and, and they're like starter, reliever, you know, and he's a high school righty. So I think that's why he's not necessarily projected to go as high in drafts as he is in the rankings. Now, all that said, with the draft, it only takes one team. And it's very possible that there's a team picking in the 20s that really likes Daniel Espino and, and will pounce on him. But and I won't claim – like that's probably the draft where nobody knows who they're picking yet or who's going to get there or what exactly it's going to cost to sign a guy. Um, I will not claim to have great detailed knowledge of how the 20s and, and the early 30s are going to unfold. So it's very possible he could go in the first round. I just know when I was kind of trying to sound out as much as I could that, um, that a lot of teams I was talking to that were picking down there were, were projecting him as more of a reliever and weren't necessarily looking to take a high school righty that high.
1: All right, Uh Grav, I, I think you kind of talked a little bit about one of the guys that there's, we were kind of talking about with our next question, but Grav, you had a question a bit about kind of what uh, a type of prospect that you're kind of hoping for, if not at nine, maybe at 21.
3: Yeah, so two years ago, I fell in love with Joe Adele and like pretty much his perfect game page. Like, I remember <laughs> just checking it out and he was like in the 99th percentile for pretty much everything. Uh Is there a similar player in this draft that has, you know, that super raw but crazy tool set, uh, like, pretty much anywhere in this draft?
2: No, I mean, high school-wise, no, I mean – there's guys who have interesting tools like like guys who'd be available maybe at twenty one. Like I don't think there's a guy like that who you would take at nine. I mean Hunter Bishop has pretty interesting tools. Um, but I, I just don't think he's gonna quite get there. You know, at twenty one on the high school side, like Reese Hines will probably be there. He's got maybe the best raw power in the draft, um, but there's a lot of swing and miss. I, I don't I think I don't think you'd want to take him at twenty one. If you want to just talk, you know, crazy tools. There's Jerry and Ely from Mississippi high school outfielder who's a five star running back recruit who's going to old miss, but he hasn't a great spring. And I just think there's a ton of risk in the bat. Um, he's not tearing up Mississippi high school competition, which is pretty bad. Um, so I just don't think like, like with the spring he's had and what would it cost to buy him away from football? That would frighten me. Um, the guy who'd be interesting, one of my, my fair players in draft, I can't quite figure out what to do with him is Cameron Meisner from Missouri who, is 6'4", 220, probably well above average raw power, plus run, plus arm, solid center fielder, probably plus right fielder if you put him there. He draws a ton of walks, and he's just having a horrible year in the SEC. He's hitting, like, I don't even know if he's up to 200 in the SEC right now. Um, and he got off to a great start. And I just, you know, the tool, his tool should, like, his tool should have him in contention for the the number nine overall pick for the Braves, but the way he's he's played in SEC play and he's been a little better recently, um, like you could say he maybe shouldn't go twenty one. Um, so he's he's a guy who'd be pretty interesting if he was there at twenty one. I just can't figure out where exactly he's going to go because his year's been so weird
1: a guy that has been kind of a pop-up guy, at least for like some mock drafts and in like some publications has been, I think Keone Cavaco, I think is his, how you pronounce his name. Is he a guy that kind of fits that sort of mold too, or is he kind of, is he kind of popped up and now kind of like falling back a bit?
2: No, he, he's in there. I don't think he's for every team, but I mean, and I think, I you know, it's interesting because Jonathan, and I split the country. He is California. I think it's Cavaco. Um, but I was, I, cause I was pronouncing it Cavaco or Cavaco for a while. And I think it's Cavaco, but, um, He's got some of the best power in the draft. He's got a chance to be a plus third baseman. I mean, to to put him in a Braves context, like, you could maybe that guy becomes Austin Riley, what Austin Riley's become, um, you know, with, like, better defense at third. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, th- this is one that one of the other challenges for doing mocks, especially this early in this draft where the talent's just kind of okay, it's hard to come up with 34 pick you know 34 guys right. that you're like you're like okay this guy these are 34 definite first rounders I don't think there are 34 definite first rounders there will be 34 first round picks made and I and I think that 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 the cavaco is definitely in that mix he, he, he's another guy who, who's really jumped up a lot there's another you know, he maybe has a chance to stay shortstop. I think most teams project him at third base, but give him a greater chance to play shortstop than they did a, a, you know, coming into the year. But another guy who's coming kind of in that same mold as Gunnar Henderson from Alabama is also a guy who I, I think is playing his way into the first round as well. Awesome.
1: All right. Uh, another name that you mentioned in your mock is one that Matt has a question about because he's risen up quite a bit. Go ahead, Matt.
4: So one guy that's really come up from the more of the later first round at the start of the spring is West Virginia's Alec Manoa and i know that there's been some links to him with the Braves at nine what what is it about him that you think makes him a top 10 worthy pick and to see more of a top 10 worthy pick this year just because of the lack of pitching or do you actually buy into him being a normal top 10 type of talent
2: yeah i mean i think he's in that third tier you know which begins with about the ninth player um and and i think it's legit i mean i do think i do think he's helped not that teams are going to say, oh, i I got to definitely take a college pitcher here. But teams do want college – I mean, you never have enough pitching. The college guys are considered less risky than the high school guys. You had three more years where they've stayed healthy in most cases, and they're going to move quicker. So, Jen uh, – and, and I think it helps him that he's one of the best college pitchers. He was on a really good roll. Like, he was dominant. I think it was like 49 strikeouts and one run in 33 innings. And then he pitched against Nick Lodolo, who's one of the other top college pitchers in his last start last Friday. And he didn't pitch as great in front of a huge crowd. You know he's interesting because you know after you get you, you start to get down from the top of the draft, you get you get a little bit more variety of opinions on guys. I think everybody likes the fact that you know he's you know it's a mid nineties fastball, it's a dominant slider. He, he's had a great year and he, he was really on a roll. But you do get some guys who wonder, you know, it, it's a big body. It, it's not the, the the most firmed up body in the world. He's six six two sixty. Um, you know, and you get some guys, and now granted, this is you could say this about almost any pitcher, but you get guys who are like, "Ah, I think he's more of a reliever." Um, and that's all in the eye of the eye of the beholder. But, you know, he he was he was great last summer. He led the Cape League in, in strikeouts. Um, and you know, he's shown a changeup. At, at times he hasn't needed a lot this spring. So, I, I think it's legit. Um, you know, I haven't pinned down you know, do the brave see him is more started than reliever that that would kind of if if that's the case then yeah I think he'd be he'd definitely be in their mix and you know he it'll be interesting because I'll circle back and start working on the mock again after this weekend and I'd be curious like if he has a so so start like how much his stock will will drop relatively you know just because he was so great for four starts and then if he has two that are that, that are lackluster but he's he's legitimately put himself in that mix and I don't think it's just like oh you know the college pitching's bad he's been legitimately good
1: so i have a more general question and i i think i kind of already know the answer but we get asked enough that it's worth kind of just talking about out loud the Braves have a i think the sixth highest bonus pool in this draft and we've seen uh, at least previous administrations of the Braves, you know, try to do bonus pool shenanigans with, you know, moving money around to lower picks. Uh, do you see the Braves as potentially exploring that type of, you know, moving bonus pool money to a little bit lower in the draft or is the presence of other teams in particular like the Diamondbacks who both have a ton of money and a ton of picks uh, making that pretty unlikely?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you explore it, but I think I mean, when they pick a 9, there's going to be a guy they really like. And I just don't think, I, I, I think, like, not every team would necessarily agree with me. But, like, to me, I think you just got to take who you think the best player is. And you take that guy at 9, and you take that guy at 20 win. Now, like, like if, and I'm just using Shea Langoliers as an example because I projected him to brace taking him. If you, like, really like Shea Langoliers, but he has, like, some crazy bonus demand, that's us say, say he wants... million, and you're like, well, we're not going to do that, and you don't think he's going to back it up, and it ties your hands, because even if you sign him for less, if he signs at the last second, you can't give the money to other guys. Like, maybe you pass on him in that case. But I I just think you've got to take the best player in the first round, whether you're picking 9 or 21. And it's one thing, like, now, if you, like, for instance – I brought up Cameron Meisner, who's had this weird year. And maybe they just love Cameron Meisner and they think they, can, they they know what's going to unlock him. And you take Cameron Meisner at nine and you get a discount. Like, that's great. But I don't think you can sacrifice uh, taking the best player, you know, for a big discount. Because also for the reason you said, the, the Dimebacks have picks everywhere and they have the largest bonus pool. So there's no guarantee that the guy you want to fall to you is going to fall to your later picks. And, like, you know, in the first round, like, I don't know why you would want to make a guy fall to 21. Just take him at nine. Like, like it's not like you're going to get, like, a good guy at nine and, and you know, presto change you're going to make a guy fall to 21. And the Diamondbacks <laughs> pick, pick 16. So let's uh, – I'll just come up with, like, a goof example. Let's say the Braves like C.J. Abrams, and for some reason he's dropping. And the Braves are like, well – you know, we'll sign him, but we're going to wait till pick twenty one. Well, what if the Diamondbacks take him at pick sixteen and they got more money than you? So, I, I just don't think you can do that. I think it's more likely that if you're picking at the very top of the draft, you know, as great as Adley Rutschman is, the Orioles aren't going to give him eight point four million dollars, which is their full slot. You know, he's going to get seven or seven and a half, and they're going to have a million and a million and a half to play with. Like you do that, but like it's not. I don't think. Like you hear talk, oh, the Orioles might explore doing this or that. I, I just don't think when you do that, you what you wind up doing is you compromise the quality of the first pick and you take a huge risk that you know, the guy you want is going to get to your second pick or third pick or whatever.
1: That makes a ton of sense to me. I mean, the the what the Braves did with Ian Anderson, and then subsequently with Joey Wentz and Kyle Muller, that was kind of like a perfect storm of events where they were like in a demographic of which is high school pitching, where they could kind of get away with it. Yeah. And they exactly. also had a and they had a ton of money, so. It, it and and they liked
2: me. Ian Anderson. That's the thing to remember too: is they they liked Ian Anderson. It wasn't like they're like, well, we're going to take a guy we think is the twenty fifth best twenty fifth best player in the draft. Uh, you know, and put him at three. They really liked Ian Anderson, and it's just like when the when the Astros took Carlos Correa. Yeah, they saved money because, like, I think the agent kind of misevaluated where he was going to go in the draft. Like, I think there's a very good chance the Twins actually might have taken him at two if he hadn't gone one. Like, if if the Astros had taken Byron Buxton, who would have been their Plan C after Correa was their Plan B. Then I think the Twins might have taken Carlos Correa at two. And had the agent known that, he wouldn't have agreed to sign for four point eight million. Um but it right. wasn't that the Astros were like, oh, we're gonna get cute. They really liked Carlos Correa, who had like just unbelievable workouts for everybody. And then that allowed them to do some things. So that's the Ian Anderson, you know, I'll give you another perfect another example, although the other picks haven't worked out as great. But Kyle Schwarber was that way for the Cubs at four in, in two thousand fifteen. That yes. You know they they pushed Kyle Schwar- they took Kyle Schwarber earlier than a lot of teams would have, and you know they got they they got a discount and then they used it on a high school pitching and the best of those guys is probably Dylan Cease who they traded, but again they liked Kyle Schwarber it wasn't like well you know we have this guy ranked as 15th best player in the draft we'll push him up and so like you always see that type of stuff speculated for the teams at the very top this time you're like oh you know hey what if the what if the Orioles take Hunter Bishop and you know sign him for four and a half million or five million dollars. I think in the end they're not going to do that. It's like if you could get that perfect storm where there's a guy you like and you can get a discount, that's great. But I think you focus on the guy you like first.
4: I couldn't agree more.
1: All right, before we let you go, Matt just has one question, and then we'll let you talk about what you have coming up for MLB pipeline. Go ahead, Matt.
4: So, I had a question about another guy that I saw when I was down in Georgia, and it's a guy who had a very poor showing in the Cape last summer, but it seems like his hit tool has improved significantly this spring, Clemson shortstop Logan Davidson. What do you think about him and his chances to hit based on what he's shown in the past versus what he's showing now, and how do those weigh against each other?
2: Yeah, he's he's a tough one too. Um, I I think he'll he'll you know it's a pretty good year for college shortstops, and he can stay at shortstop. And I think he goes in the twenties somewhere. And if he went a little higher than that, it wouldn't shock me because if you really like him, you could go plus run, plus arm, plus raw power, stay at shortstop, you know, switch hitter. But it's tough because you know he's he's had success with metal. It's been more hit over. I mean, more power over hit, even with metal bats. But, you know, in, in, two and a half years, you know, with the, with the Tigers, or a little bit more than two and a half years, he's got a 920 ops and 38 home runs. <laughs> and two summers in the Cape, he's hit 570 with three home runs. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, he's, he's got a 570 ops, a little different than hitting 570. Um, and a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, and so like it's like there are a lot of guys who saw him struggle with wood and are worried about that and. I think the, I think one thing everybody would agree on is that if you're grading him out, the hit tool is going to get the lowest grade of all those tools. Um, if you believe in him, you know, you could probably go 50 hit and, and maybe dream that he gets to most of that 60 raw power. You know, maybe he's a 260 hitter with 25 homers and, you know, you know, you know, can run and, and play shortstop. So yeah, you know, but he's, he'll go in the 20s and maybe even a little higher, like I said, but he's hard to figure out because I I don't think think anybody feels like it's a slam dunk he's going to hit. And obviously if you don't hit, you don't play at the big league level. So he's one that teams are really trying to figure out.
1: All right, Jim, that is all the questions we had. Greatly appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions. Really, truly do. Uh, I know you've had a uh, pipeline and MLB.com has had a lot of, Interesting stuff go up, go up recently and have a lot of things in uh, kind of in the work. So go ahead and let our listeners know what you guys have coming up.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. You know, it, we are, the website's mlbpipeline.com. The you know, nice thing is all the content's free. There, there's nothing behind the paywall. Um, you know, we're obviously doing a lot of draft stuff right now. We'll have a new mock draft every week. We're in the middle of expanding our draft top 100 to a top 200, and we have video and scattering reports and grades uh, on all those guys. Um, so that that's kind of my, my big focus right now. Um, you know, we're we're still ranking minor league prospects and updating the prospect list as guys graduate to the big leagues. Next week, we'll have a what we internally call market corrections, where we'll shift a bunch of guys around on the top 100 to kind of reflect what we're hearing and, and, and what guys are doing this year. And then you know we're we're not only previewing the draft stuff, Jesse Sanchez. Our international guru just came out with his top 30 list, which has video and scattering reports and a bunch of features and all that's on the website. So the, the easiest way to check that out is at MLBpipeline.com. And I try to tweet and retweet a lot of this stuff at, at my Twitter account, at Jim Callis MLB. Um, but it, it feels like <laughs> 24-7 uh, draft and prospect coverage uh, right now. And, you know, the good thing is, Uh, I enjoy it, which is a good thing because if I didn't enjoy it, I think I'd I'd be going insane right now, but it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something you have to be passionate about because not only is it a lot of work – but it's also something that people will get very, very angry at you about if you don't like their guy or that you don't have the same thoughts about the, their guys that they do. Uh, and it's something that we've got to experience just on a one team level. I can't imagine every team in the, every team's fan base is in the league you know coming after you constantly. It, it blows my mind what you guys do, the amount of work you guys do, and we really, truly appreciate it and it, And it goes for all the national level writers. All of you guys are just unbelievable so.
2: Well, thanks. Yeah, and it's it's it's. I mean, I think the best way to deal with the with the fans is just not to take it personally. I mean, I always find it fascinating where, you know, when we rank farm systems, everybody who's not ranked number one, you know, their fans feel like their team's ranked too low, or even like if you have a, you know, just using the Braves, I like give a great farm system for the Braves, and you have all these great prospects in the system, and guys get angry like, oh, you know, how can Drew Waters be ranked eighth in the system? Well, it's like. Somebody's gotta be eighth. Like, you know, it's like, we're not, you know, we, we like Drew Waters where we say a lot of nice things about him. You know, I mean, well, he's actually gonna move up when we do some adjustments, but like, you can only do so much. I mean, you, you know, if the team has eight, you know, like, I think the Braves right now, we have eight top 100 prospects, um, on our overall top 100 of Braves. Well, somebody's gotta rank eighth. Like, it doesn't mean we don't like the guy. So, but uh, yeah, you just learn not to take that stuff personally.
1: I love it, man. Well, greatly appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy, guy, so We'll let you go. Make sure you follow along for the po- uh, on the podcast at Road, the number two, Atlanta, uh, where you can see new podcasts new, when new episodes go up. Uh, it's on the same uh, feed of, for subscribing to the Talking Chop podcast, so you get two podcasts for one on the subscription. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We greatly appreciate all the support all over the years, um, in particular as we've relaunched the podcast. And until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road.